Well, good morning. What a day we live in. If you can make sense of this world, then you are better than the rest of us. Amen? You know, when you have a president who gets nominated for two Nobel Peace Prizes, something unprecedented in 25 years, but at the same time, you have chaos going in the United States, it's unprecedented. And then you have the largest number of federal judges ever appointed by any president, to my knowledge, in one year, over 200. I mean, it's just gonna get weirder. Hold on, just hang on, it's gonna get weirder. (laughs) Then we're in the middle of a pandemic, maybe. (laughs) And then to top it all off, we may have, and again, I may be wrong in this, but I think it'll be the, the, the first president who may be in a position to appoint three members to the Supreme Court. <clears throat> now, just stop and think about what I just said. That is chaos and order on steroids all at the same time, <laughs> right? It's, uh, it's an interesting day we live in. Um, I consider it really an honor and a privilege for us to be open. And and it has been the grace of God that has been with us in this season. We've been open since May 31st, and you are well aware most churches are not open. Uh, Some are starting to open outdoors, which we rejoice in that. But we're not trying to make a statement. Let me just be honest with you. We're... We're exercising two rights that we believe are important. One, as a a citizen of the United States, we're exercising our First Amendment right. And the thing that that we know is that typically when government takes something away, they're hard-pressed to give it back. And so we feel like that's an important piece. The other side of this that's important is to remember that not only do we have that reason, but we have the second reason, that is that God called us to assemble as people, that we need this. We need the encouragement. We need the prayers. We need the affirmation. We need the exercise of our spiritual gifts. We need to be serving and loving people and not hiding in closets. Right now, during this hour and into the next, into noon, uh, there will be an empowerment program that's outside. We're feeding people. We fed about 100 families last week. And so thankful for the people who serve, for Tammy and Steve. I think they're finally in the service. Where are you guys at? I think I... They've been out there through the thick and thin of 100-plus uh, degree weather, and you finally took a break when the weather dropped. Good strategy, But you know, not everybody that is hungry is homeless. You know, all of us need help. And if we can help you in the ministry of alleviating some of your budget costs because things are tight right now, then please drive your car around back and get some food. Because we're here to minister to the whole body To anyone who comes, we don't ask questions. We don't take your picture and try to figure out who you are. 
We just want to love you. And we want to love our community. Amen? So. We live in a day of overreach where politicians have understood something about power and it feels good. And so violating even temporarily the First Amendment seems somehow acceptable in the hearts and minds of some leaders. History is filled with pharaohs, emperors, Caesars, czars, sultans, kaisers, khans, dictators, tyrants, and kings. Power inevitably concentrated in the hands of one person. When Franklin walked out of the framing of the Constitution, he was asked, what kind of government will we have? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Our republic is not just a republic. It is a constitutional republic. And what that means is those whom we choose to represent us are sworn to obey and follow the leadership of the Constitution of the United States. There are no exception clauses in the First Amendment. You don't get a break because you don't like what's happening in the world. It is what it is. We picked up on our democracy where Rome left off. And now we are in the great experiment called America. And we wonder whether it will stand the test of time and the time that we're in of oppression, challenge, and difficulty. William Fetter said this, when a society has entered on the downward progress, either civilization or liberty must perish. Either some Caesar or Napoleon will seize the reins of government with a strong hand. America does not have a monarchy, but a republic. A republic, if you don't know exactly what that defines, it is where the people are king. You see, we make all the decisions through those who we choose to represent us, and if they fail to represent us properly, then it is our privilege in the next cycle of whatever voting cycle we're in is to change leaders who will best represent us. They're, they're really, we're ruling through representatives who are public servants who work for you and I. The irony is that when someone burns the flag because they have the right to do it, they're literally saying, I choose not to be a citizen anymore. I choose not to be the king and rule with all my other citizens. They're basically throwing themselves into the subject under a monarchy who says, no, we don't want that anymore. I wonder, did American leaders understand Plato's warning that democracy without virtue would end in chaos and out of which a tyrant would arise. We've often heard the phrase, I'm going to come back to a little bit later in the message, that Jesus was cornered and asked the question about paying taxes unto Caesar. And he asked for the coin. He said, tell me, let me see the coin. And he looked at it and he said, well, that's Caesar's coin. Then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And the second part of it we probably know well too, but render unto God the things that are God's. Today we're gonna to talk a little bit about the king and his kingdom. 
In John chapter 18, verse 36 and 7, Jesus answered and said this, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet at other times he said the kingdom of God is present, is that it, it's at hand, the power of the kingdom can be seen. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But, my, but now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said unto him, are you a king then? I love that little voice crying in the wilderness. It's only when adults act like that we have problems, amen? <laughs> Jesus answered and said, you say rightly that I am a king. Now, I don't know if you notice this, if you're careful in your study and you slow down a little bit, when he uses the phrase, I am, every Jew's ears would have perked up because they understood exactly what he meant when he said, I am. He draws back into the book of Exodus chapter three where Moses was walking by a bush and a voice came out of the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. And when Moses asked, who are you? He said, I am that I am. I am the ever-present, always present, all-powerful God. I am never past tense or future tense. I always, I am. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying, I am God, and I have the truth, and I have the life, and I have the only way. When he said, I am the living water, he's saying, there is no water, there is no, there is no, no refreshment except by me, and I am the living bread, there is no sustenance apart from me. So when he says, I am, I am a king, they understood very, very well. The, the indefinite article A does not appear in the Greek language. It's only added there to help you understand. It should be read this way, I am king, not I am a king. I am king. Pilate understood it very, very well. He said this, for uh, Jesus went on to say, for, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. So why did I come as the king? Because you need the truth. Because you're gonna get a lot of varieties of truth in your lifetime. People are gonna say, well, this is true, or this is kinda true, or they're gonna use this phrase, well, isn't truth relative? No, it's not relative. Aunts and uncles are relative, but truth is not relative. <laughs> truth is truth. There is absolute truth in the world. It's revealed in the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, embraced by those who embrace the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He revealed himself to us. He said, everyone, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So you can be of the truth, and you can be apart from the truth. If you're a part of the truth, you've been transformed by the power of God. And you understand that you do not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your sustenance is the word of God. That's why when you read it, it's transformational in your life. You read it and you go, oh my gosh, this is so good. Why do I feel the way I feel? It's because it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of the soul and the, and the spirit and the bone and the marrow in your life. And you go, wow, this is amazing. You set out to read a verse and you end up reading a chapter because your spirit is being fed. 
You can master other pieces of literature in this world. You cannot master the Bible because it is always freshly revealing truth to you because it is living. It is breathing. It is the very breath of God, according to Timothy, as Paul wrote to him. It is the breath of God. When I encounter the word of God, I encounter God. I encounter God. I don't encounter the words of God. I encounter God. That's why he said there's nothing that will be removed from the book, not even, and he used the smallest Greek and smallest Hebrew letters to define that and said not even a jot or a tittle will be removed from the word of God. All will be fulfilled. Everything will come to fruition as I have said it. Why? Because his character depends on everything being true, not partially true, not kind of true, not true for you and true, not true for somebody else, is true. So that's why when you read the word, you can read with confidence, go, this is the word of God. I'm encountering God. When the ancient Hebrews would copy, the scribes, they would copy because they didn't have any way to print in, in multiple copies, they would handwrite it. When they came to the sacred, incommunicable name of God, they would set the pen down, they would go over and wash their hands. They would pick up a different pen, and then they would write that name, Yahweh. They would put the pen down, go wash their hands. They would pick up that other pen and continue writing because so sacred was that word, that name of God, that they didn't anyway want to use it in vain. This is why it's so important when we say, why do, you, why do people use God's name in vain? They're saying they're calling out emptiness into the God who is ever-present. It's not just a word. Have you ever wondered why people will use Jesus in, in, in a derogatory manner in terms of how to describe their disgust or their frustration as a curse word? And why not use other names? Has anyone ever hit their thumb and said, oh, Buddha? Oh, Muhammad? No, why? Because there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And there is coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen? Give him glory and give him praise. Let's review what Jesus said in this scripture. He said, first of all, the kingdom is not physical. It's not a physical kingdom. The kingdom is from somewhere outside of this world. In other words, the kingdom always was, it just was revealed in this present age, in our time and space continuum. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. There are no other kings. He is the king of the kingdom of truth. And the message of the kingdom is truth. When you speak the word of God, you speak truth. Some people are hesitant. They think, well, I don't know the Bible that well, and I'm not that educated in the Scriptures. You don't have to be. Just read the Bible to someone. And then they say, what does it mean? Say, I don't know, but isn't it good? <laughs> Amen? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to read the Word of God. In fact, Revelation says you're blessed, and you bless others when you just read it. Blessed are those who hear it. Blessed are those who read the Word of the Revelation of God. Isn't that amazing? No other book blesses like that. In fact, so sacred is God's word that he said, if you remove something from the word, I will remove your name from the Lamb's book of life. Yeah. 
How about the people who say, well, I don't believe all of it, I just believe some of it. Well, then your name is taken from the Lamb's Book of Life and you will spend eternity apart from God. That's what that says. Oh, that's kind of harsh. I didn't say it, I'm just the messenger. Amen, that's what Jesus said. Let me show you a little diagram here just to kind of to get us, put this all in order for us so we, we think about what's involved in this. If you think about the kingdom of God, there's four different things that are really important. You have to have a king. Any kingdom has to have a king. And then there are subjects to the king. Guess what? That's you and I. And then there's laws or rule, that's the word of God, and then there's a realm that we live in, we move in. So when we move in this realm, that is what is, the, what is the scope of what realm that God has for us, and as we begin to exercise power in the kingdom, because we've been delegated as ambassadors of the king. If you've ever met an ambassador, they are to represent completely and fully that country. A number of years ago, Tammy and I were in Washington, D.C., and we met some friends there from New York. They came down, and he said, pick a restaurant and I'll pay, so I found the most expensive one I could find. You know how that goes. And it was, uh, it was actually one that was uh, dated back to the uh, 1700s. And we went in there, and it was, it was all the money, if you know what I mean. The house dated back, the, the actual building dated back to the 1700s, and it was just, it just, smelled old in a good way, right? And we sat down with our friends and, uh, you know, it was very quiet, almost awkwardly quiet, you know, a little too stuffy. And I've never found an environment I couldn't, you know, kind of liven up a little bit. And so our waiter came over and we began to talk to him and he was a friendly, outgoing guy. And I said, hi, how are you? And he said, I said my name is Muhammad. I said, man, that's a bummer of a name right now, isn't it? And he looked at me, he started laughing. He said, yeah, my brother's name is Steve. <laughs> and we began to dialogue a little bit and had a great time. And then the couple sitting over to our left, uh, they were Asian. I wasn't sure where they were from, but they were Asian. And uh, all of a sudden, they brought out a little birthday cake for the wife. And I thought, you know, if you're in this restaurant, you're probably here for a reason. This is a special place for you. And I've learned if I think the situation is really important to offer to take a picture but use my camera, use my phone. That way I get their email address and I follow up. Kind of makes sense, right? You ever thought about this? I said, let me get your picture. And I took out my phone. I snapped a couple of pictures. He hands me his card. And he's the ambassador for Indonesia. And over the course of the next year, we exchanged emails and phone calls, and he took my business books and used it to train his embassy staff. And uh, I got a call from a, a friend of mine who was uh, uh, doing a movie in Indonesia um, with Mickey Rourke, and uh, he said, hey, we've got a problem here. Uh, we're, we can't get permits uh, in Indonesia for our film, and they said we all had them, and we don't know what to do, and our, we're, our, our crew is just racking up money and uh, can you help me out? I thought you knew somebody from Indonesia. And I'm thinking, well, telling that story doesn't exactly give me the inside scoop to getting permits for films. So I text Ambassador Patty, and I said, uh, um, hey, my buddy's having that. And within an hour, I got a call back from the producer. And he said, I don't know what you did, but they showed up with the permits, and they waived all the fees. 
That's a good story, but I'm gonna tell you a better one. The better one is you're an ambassador of heaven. You see, you look at the power, the authority, and the scope that that ambassador had for a nation. You have that for the kingdom of God. If you don't exercise that power and authority that's given to you, it's only your fault because it's in your hands to do. There is an expectation that our king has. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 22 and 21. Here's what Jesus said in response to those who were trying to trick him and trap him. He said, render therefore uh, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. The word Caesar means severed, set apart. The surname of Julius Caesar, which adopted by Octavius Augustus and his successors. Roman emperors had a cult of deified Caesars called August. You hear that term, Augustus. It meant sacred or divine. So the Caesars were a divine cult of gods who had all power and all authority. So Caesar became an official title adopted by the Roman Empire. The word render, we hear that term and we assume we know what it means, but it really has some interesting kind of meanings as you weave it through scripture. Render means to pay or to give back things promised under an oath or to yield. So let's go back and look at that scripture, Matthew 22, 21, render, pay back, give back things promised under an oath and yield. To Caesar, the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. So I'm supposed to render unto Caesar certain things, and I'm supposed to render unto God certain things. Let's see what we're supposed to render unto Caesar. First thing we render unto Caesar, which is representative of our government, is we respect the law. We honor the law. If the law somehow gets to a place to where it is going against the kingdom, we are still subject to the law, which means I will yield to, if you say it's wrong and you're gonna find me, you're gonna put me in jail, I accept that, but I must obey God rather than men. That's what that means, to be subject to the law. We're to pay our taxes. I'm gonna assume everyone in this room is going to respect the law and pay your taxes. Now you might go over the speed limit a little bit, but you have you have that little safety zone that you know it's, I'm good with five. By your laughter, I determine you know that's true. But on your taxes, I, I think you're probably a little bit more frightened because those three letters are scary, I-R-S. They bring fear to the strongest and the mightiest of people. And so you go, you know what, I, I might get close, but I'm not going over the line when it comes to my taxes because... They can seize everything I have. They can control my life. They can ruin my life, right? Are you with me on this one? Okay. Well, what about render unto God? Let's think about God. I wanna ask you this question before we get into this. Do you fear the government or the IRS more than you fear God? Don't answer too quickly. It might come back to you. Let me ask you something. What are we to render unto God? We're to render unto God honor. God is to be honored. Do you honor God 
with your life, with your words, and with your love. Do you honor God? Now, I'm not asking you if you're perfect. I figured out a long time ago that I wasn't. When I got married, my wife told me, you're not perfect. I was an only child, and I, up until that point, I didn't know that. <laughs> what a revelation. See, there are many benefits to marriage. That's one of them right there. So honor, so are you honoring God? And, and I'm not saying in a perfected way, but when you fail to honor him, do you then turn from that, that is repent from that, and say, I'm gonna do this better next time? See, that's what God wants. He wants a heart that's yielded to him, that's pliable, and wants to be teachable. So that when I fail to honor him, you know, with my life, with my words, or with my love, that I, I quickly turn about and get going in the right direction. That's what God wants. Another way we honor God is with our tithe. Our tithe is, it literally is a word that means a tenth. God says you honor me, the tithe is mine, it's not yours. God says you can live on 90% of what you have, you give me my tithe back and I'll, and I'll move the kingdom forward with it. That's just God's plan. But let me ask you, would you rather hold back on your tithe but give the government your, their full tithe, so to speak, who do you honor more? Who do you fear more? According to studies nationally, Christians give about, on an average, about 3% of their income back to their local church. Some give zero, some give way up beyond 10%. Do you realize the economic power that you could move the kingdom forward if every single person would say, I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna start giving a tithe into the kingdom? It would be transformational, people. It would be absolutely transformational. You'd never have to ask for a special offering. You'd never have to worry if you're gonna be able to help somebody out or feed somebody or buy something. It would just, it would fuel itself. This is, this is what it means to render unto God. Third thing is to render unto God his day. This is the Lord's day. This is the day that we worship. The Sabbath is Saturday. That was the day that was traditionally in the, built into the Hebrew system. The Christians began to worship on the Lord's day because of the resurrection. This is his day. We are to honor him on his day. That's why we meet. That's why we regathered. That's why we said we're going to not just exercise our First Amendment rights, we're gonna exercise our kingdom right to assemble and to gather. That's why we're here. And we're not gonna make it a, a lesser priority. We're not gonna say, well, you know, it's, I, there's always next Sunday. I can always go, I catch it online. Yes, you can catch it online, but it's not the same when you and I know it. I'm glad that we have thousands of people watching online. And I'm glad we have that tool. And I know many of you are. If you're on vacation, you're out, um, you got a sleepy day and pancakes are cooking, I, I get it. I mean, I'm, I said to my wife a couple of weeks ago, I think I'm gonna stay home. She said, you can't, you're the pastor. I said, oh yeah. <laughs> Let me show you something interesting about the word render. Now remember, the Bible in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so what you do is you translate words to try to get the best meaning so that we can understand it in our English language, a Greek word, for example. So let me take you to Revelation chapter 22. This is the last book of the Bible and see what Jesus has to say. Verse 12, Jesus said, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. 
Did you know that God is going to give every one of his children a reward? Some will get more than others, but every child is gonna get a reward. To give to everyone according to his work. Now, notice what the word is give. That's the same word render. So what I'm going to do is he's going to give us what we deserve, what is ours in his return. Are you, are you following this, how this is working now? We render unto him our love, our words, our life, our tithe, the day, we honor those things, we, we give him, we render those unto him, and then when he returns, he renders unto us what is due us. You get into the kingdom by unmerited grace. In other words, you become a Christian simply by faith in the living God who died on a cross, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And you put your faith in him to remove your sins. That's unmerited favor on your behalf. But there are never unmerited rewards. You will never get a reward for doing nothing. Now, if you're a part of a sports team today and you're a child, you get a trophy for doing nothing. You show up, you get a trophy. Not in the kingdom. Doesn't work that way in the kingdom. Look what he says. To render to everyone according to his work. What am I doing for the kingdom and for the king? He said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those, who's gonna be blessed? Those who do his commandments. Why is that so important? Look what it says. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So if I'm not working according to his work and doing his commandments, it says I do not have a right to the tree of life and I do not get to enter into the gates of the city. Isn't scripture amazing? We just kind of slow down to read it. It's a little weightier than you think, right? So God will give, that is, render unto you as you have given unto him. People rich in this world, many will be poor in the kingdom. Some that are poor in this world are gonna be rich in the kingdom. See, the exchange rate is just different. It's funny that when we amass a lot, we think, well, look how much I've got, look how much i got, and, and we think, boy, I'm really doing well, the Lord has blessed me, but if selfishness drove you to, to acquire much, and generosity was far from you, you will find that in the kingdom, the king will be selfish with you and generous with others. I figure if you're willing to gather when we're not supposed to, you can handle the word of God. When I wrote uh, the book, um, and we have copies out front if you want to get one, but when I wrote the book, One Nation Without Law, and I talked about lawlessness, and I imagined that uh, the worst nightmare would be when lawlessness marched down Main Street unabated, I never imagined it would happen so quickly. I think there's an acceleration happening in the prophetic world that you're going to begin to see some things. The peace treaties that are coming right now, let me just kind of get into the prophetic for a, war, for a minute. The peace treaties that are coming are strategic in the kingdom of God. 
The next major event is going to be the, the battle that'll take place that's found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's where there's a gathering, a coalition of nations that come against Israel. They are nations that have funny names like Gog and Magog, Tagarma, Gomer. These names, you think, well, what, who are those? Well, you go back, Gog and Magog is Russia, Tagarma is Turkey, Gomer is Germany, Persia is Iran. That coalition comes against the nation of Israel. This is before the, the rapture. This is before the tribulation period. And there are events that begin to happen there. And Ezekiel 38, 18, it's America, is, seems to be the only kind of reference to it, uh, one of the daughters of the lion. And, uh, and we're looking back going, are you really going to do this? We're not involved in it. But guess what? God intervenes. God rescues Israel. Four-fifths of all the battle of armies that come up against them are wiped out. It says it takes seven years to clean up the bodies and the weapons from that battle. That's next. When you see that happening, if you don't think there's a coalition between uh, those nations, you, the peace treaty was, um, that just came out, you know, one, one of the people that spoke against it was Turkey. I can't believe that United Arab Emirates is signing this peace treaty. I can't believe Bahrain is signing this peace treaty. You know the irony of it? They already have the same peace treaty with Israel. Why are they objecting? Because they're moving into an Islamic empire where the, the leader will be a sultan. And you're seeing these things unfold before our very eyes. God is going to give to you on what you have. So when you receive the word of God, you go, I'm gonna get serious with the word of God. I'm gonna take the word of God. I'm gonna live in it and read it and breathe it. And you know, one of the things the Bible says is you don't have to fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. What are we gonna do in this world? Trust God. How about that one for a novel idea? I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When you use this and you walk in power and you walk in love, fear will diminish from your life. And you begin to say, the source of my, of my life and my income and all those other things is not what I see in this natural world. It's the supernatural world where God opens up the windows of heaven and he unfolds to me riches beyond understanding. He sustains me as he sustains the birds of the air and the fields that grow the lilies. We're, Solomon was not even arrayed in all of that glory, Jesus said. So you're a messenger of the kingdom. You are a messenger. I thought that was your job, Pastor. No, it's our job. Amen? It's our job to be messengers. Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 6 and 7. All of a sudden, the gospel is picking up momentum. Picking up momentum, Right? They come into town and they're accused, they're arrested, and they said, these are those who turned the world upside down. Would it be true of you and I? They say of you, you turned my world upside down. Well, it was cockeyed. It need to be turned upside down. Amen? Have come here too. Are these Christians gonna show up everywhere? That's what they're saying. We thought we were safe. No Christians here. Jason has harbored them. These are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. So what happened? Jason said, hey, guys, come on over to my house. You can hang out here because guess what? 
They're saying that they're, they're trying to, to say Caesar is king, but we know who's king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That's our creed. That's our testimony. That's what we say. Jesus is king. Let me take you to Acts chapter 5. Here's, the, here's a, another situation very similar. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? I promise you, I don't know when it'll be, the next thing that's going to come against Christians is that speaking out and, and testifying of Christ, witnessing to people, will be considered hate speech. That's next. You mark it down. I told you two months ago Bahrain was gonna be the next country to go into the peace treaty. Got it right on that time. I guarantee I'm right on this one. It'll be hate speech. You better tell people about Jesus while you can. He says, did we tell you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. You think we're guilty of crucifying Jesus. Yeah, you are. And so are you and me and everyone in this world because it was our sins that put him on a cross. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't want to offend anyone. We want to be politically correct all the time. Oh, he didn't say that, did he? He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We are going to obey God, not men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and the savior, to give repentance to Israel, the forgiveness of sins. I love how he packed everything into this answer. He didn't say, yeah, well, we're doing that. No, he said, look, to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins, and we are his witnesses. You know what the word witness is in the Greek language? It's the word martus. It's where we get our word martyr. When you witness for Christ, you are laying your life on the line. You're laying your reputation. You're laying your friendships. You're laying everything on the line because you know it's not the most popular thing you're gonna do in your life is to tell people about Jesus. We are his martyrs to these things. So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So what can we do? What are we to do now? I'm gonna give you two things, practical things you can take home and do. Here's the first one, prayer. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Therefore I exalt you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Even the political ideologies that you oppose, you're supposed to pray for those people. Hey, guess what? I was transformed from darkness into light, weren't you? Be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Don't you just want to live a peaceful and quiet life? Isn't that what we all really want? A, a world apart from conflict and struggle and all of that? He says we get there by prayer. Get there by prayer. And then salvation. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 2. We speak salvation to people. God who desires all men to be saved. Who does he want saved? Everybody. Well, that guy over there, he'll never get saved. Well, really, that's kind of God's job. Amen? There's some of you sitting out here that somebody probably said of you, they will never get saved, right? Or the ceiling will fall in when you get saved. I had a guy told me, he said, I'm a preacher, you know why I don't come to church? And I said, no, why? He said, I'm, the ceiling will fall in when I come. I said, let's give it a shot. We can repair it. 
said, you know why I don't go to church? I said, why? He said, because there's all those hypocrites up at church. I said, you know, you're right. Every one of them up there. He looked at me shocked. I said, me too? I'm a hypocrite. What? Yeah, hypocrite's somebody who pretends to be something they're not, and I've done that from time to time, haven't you? He said, you know, I'm coming this Sunday. Came to church, got saved. You know why? You know why he said it? Why he came? He said, you're the first preacher who ever told me the truth. Hey, I don't know if you looked around. This is a bunch of sinners in this joint. <laughs> if you're not one, we, we just want to learn from you. First Timothy, God who desires all men to be saved and to what? To come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that how we started? Jesus said, I am a king. I came to bear witness of the what? The truth. What do we want? We desire all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Guess what? You don't have to come to me to find Christ, find salvation. You don't go to a priest. You don't go to anybody else. You go right to Jesus, amen? He's the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. When you call upon his name, he hears. He hears you speak and you say, save me, Lord Jesus. The thief on the cross simply said, remember me when you go into your kingdom. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is not about how good you are or how bad you aren't. Salvation is just about your faith in the living God. I ask you today, would you call on the living God to be saved? If there's any doubt in your heart, any doubt in your mind, would you say, Jesus, I want to be saved today? If you're watching online, would you say, I want to be saved? If you're watching outside under the pavilion, would you say, I want to be saved? We're going to have a baptism come up here in, in a few weeks, and uh, uh, we'd love to, we're going to baptize outside under the pavilion. We're going to have a lot of fun and just declare Jesus is Lord. Amen. The only reason you get baptized is because you're saved. Otherwise, you just got wet. Amen? Let me ask you, just to pray a prayer like this one with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried in a tomb. Three days later, you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. By faith, I believe what you said, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior today. Today is my spiritual birthday. Today I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and I became a child of the living God. Amen and amen. If that was your prayer right now where you sit, where you stand, just thank him for saving your soul. Amen, amen. On one occasion, the disciples were amazed that they saw the power of God unfold. People were healed. Demons were driven away. And he said, yes, that's great. But let me tell you what's greater. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do you beat that one? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When they call roll in heaven, God calls your name. I don't know how it gets any better than that. Amen? Amen?